Well, this has been an amazing series on the book of Philippians as we followed along with Matt Chandler. And uh, we only have a few weeks left. We're going to be in chapter 4 today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. In the first couple messages, we talked about uh, the first church members in this church of Philippi. We talked about Lydia, the wealthy purple seller, and we talked about the jailer, and we talked about uh, the demon-possessed slave girl and all their families and how this church in Philippi, who this book of Philippians is written to, uh, is started by a diverse group of people with different social classes, different backgrounds, and different economic statuses. And the gospel broke through all of those Boundaries, And that's the good news is that uh, Christ came and loved us enough to die for us and that we should love each other. And you can see that the Bible breaks through those boundaries that society uh, sets up. The gospel also shows us how we need to put other people before ourselves. And this is counterculture. This isn't what the world tells us to do. The gospel shows us that we shouldn't do anything to be motivated by self-glory and self-promotion. The gospel shows us that there's nothing that I could do to make God love me anymore, and there's nothing that I have done to make him love me any less. And we saw that we can't glory in our accomplishments because we can't accomplish anything apart from Christ. Then we read some quotes that I like uh, that are about this, about that, our accomplishments and, and what we put our faith in. It says this, religion is always the outside in. I'll do something for you, God, if you do something for me. But come on now. Do we not see how backwards and idiotic that is? The gospel goes from the inside out. We're not seeking God to get a sticker or an attaboy from him. It is a tragic failure to use the gifts and blessings of God as if they themselves are God's. We must never elevate creation over the creator. And we're not seeking him to enjoy blessings or rewards he gives us, but rather to enjoy him. And the reason why we study and the reason why we attack our sin and generously give from our resources, why we serve people around us, is not to persuade God to love us more. No, it's because we do these things because he already does love us, we do these things because he already has blessed us, and that is how the gospel provides us with true satisfaction. We've talked in this book of Philippians about how to live is Christ and to die is gain, and how we're living in bonus time, because in reality, we all should be in hell right now. And that's why we can praise in our toughest times and praise in prison, is because it's all for him anyway. And we saw that no matter our mess, we have a mission. We saw that we, uh, when we pray, that we need to pray for whatever gives God the most glory and not what we want or expect to happen. Paul said it this way, I want to glorify you, whether it be by my life or by my death. He says, I just want Jesus. And then we talked about pursuing Christ with all that we are, not just to check off a, check, uh, a checklist of Christian do's or don'ts, but finding a way to make us passionate a bit, uh, passionate about God, and doing those things, because passion without action is just emotion. And then we also saw that we need to develop a plan to attack our weaknesses, to be honest with ourselves about them, and to get help with them, and to set goals to become stronger so that we can become more like 
Christ. We saw that progress is a process. How do you start that process? You do what you already know. So that was your review for the last nine weeks on the books of Philippians. So if you have missed any of those, make sure you can go back. And uh, if you want to, you can listen on our app. We've got all those messages in the background. And now we're going to further talk about what a mature believer looks like. And that's where we'll be in chapter 4, this end of this letter from Paul to these people in the city of Philippi. We saw in the first few verses there, if you read over them later on, you'll see how there's some women in the church that had a disagreement, <gasps> right? That's weird, right? People in a church having a disagreement, that never happens. And then the Bible tells them, though, how to handle that with unity, remembering what Christ did for them, and that they both one day are going to be in heaven together, so focus on the important things in life and fight for unity, and then verse 4 shows up. It's one of those big vo uh, verses. And if you've been around church very much, you know it. You've probably seen it on a pillow somewhere. You've probably seen it on a bumper sticker on a T-shirt. We know this verse, but I don't think we really know it. I don't think we really apply it or even really knows what it means. Here we go. You ready? It's a big one. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't hear it, again I will say it, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. My kids both uh, have their birthday in the month of October. Noah just turned nine, Chloe turned seven. And uh, their birthdays are like a week apart. So for right now, don't tell them it's weird, but they both have their birthdays on the same day. Don't ruin it for us, it's going great, okay? But almost three years ago, we had the great idea for a birthday present for our kids. We wanted them to be more active and to get outside and just to uh, get some exercise. So we thought we had the best idea ever. We bought them a trampoline, right? Nothing could go wrong at all. So we put that trampoline together on Friday. Their birthday party was on Saturday. And about 12 o'clock, Chloe comes off the trampoline crying that her arm hurts. And we consoled her. We didn't really think too much about it. So we comforted her. And then she went back to the birthday party. Tori's doing experiments with the kids because Noah wanted a science birthday party. And I noticed that Chloe isn't making the Play-Doh volcano like all the rest of the kids. Something was weird. She's just kind of sitting there with her right arm just like on her lap. And she's not using it at all. So I helped her with her Play-Doh. She gets up later on to go see Noah blow out his candles, and I realize that her arm is just completely limp by her side. She's only using her left hand. She's not doing anything with her right hand at all. So Tori and I left the birthday party to go take Chloe to the emergency room. As a father in this moment, I feel helpless. She's right-handed. She's already had a cast on that hand a year ago. And now she has to leave her birthday party to go and sit in an emergency room for a couple of hours and then come back. All the kids are going to be gone. Now she has to wear a sling and a splint on her arm for the next couple of weeks. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Notice it doesn't say just rejoice when all is well. Rejoice always. Even when my uh, daughter's birthday party is interrupted by the fact that she might have the second broken arm at age four on the same arm. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. See, I think we know this verse, but we don't really know this verse, right? I think we can memorize it, and it's pretty easy. It's fairly short, but I don't think we really know it. How in this situation can I rejoice? Yes, I trust you, God. Yes, I believe you, God. But this whole rejoice thing, I don't have that down yet. I I don't know how to rejoice in this terrible, terrible situation. Now, my situation I just mentioned here is relatively small to many of the things that you all have gone through. So let's get serious. Let's get real. How do you rejoice when you're a 15-year-old and you get diagnosed with cancer? How do you rejoice when your mom passes away? How do you rejoice when uh, your sister is becoming a drug addict? How do you rejoice when you just find out that your husband is having an affair? See, at any moment in our lives, we can get a phone call and it can change everything. A simple phone call can rock our world. I got a phone call like that when I was in college. The dean of the college called me and told me the routine heart surgery that my dad was having. Uh, They burned a hole in his heart and they stitched him back up and they put him in recovery. They had no idea that there was a problem. And it was only for the fact that his friend, because he worked at that hospital, was there visiting him and he was a doctor. It was only that fact that he didn't die because he noticed that his vitals were going crazy and he said, hey, we got a problem. We need to do something. Get the team back in here. We need to fix this problem. My dad would have died. And as I'm leaving college to get on a plane from Arkansas to go to Philadelphia, not sure if my dad would be alive by the time I got there. How do I rejoice then? How? My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer a few years ago. I remember when she told us, cancer's a big word. It's a scary word. She tried to tell us it wasn't a big deal, but in the same breath, she's telling us, but if it's God's time, you know, I'm ready for it, and I I trust him. And that's not super comforting when your son that just found out your mom has cancer. How do I rejoice in that? How do I rejoice in those times? Let's see if there's any answers in the next verse, right? Maybe that'll tell us. Verse 5 says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. (laughs) Okay, that sounds good, right? Reasonableness means like appropriateness, level-headedness. What? I'm supposed to rejoice in all these things, and now you're telling me, let everybody know how reasonable you're being? Rejoice when my daughter's in pain. Rejoice when my dad almost died. Rejoice when my mom is diagnosed with cancer. And now you're talking about let everyone know how reasonable I'm being. See, reasonable went out the window when we got to the emergency room. How can I rejoice and be reasonable when my world is falling apart? But look at the end of the verse. Verse 5. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. See, it's because our rejoicing and our reasonableness isn't based on our circumstances or our strength. Our rejoicing and our logic is based on the fact that the Lord is at work. Romans eleven thirty three says this. It says, oh, the depths. Look at this. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. 
How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord who has been, and who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Who can counsel God? Because God is infinitely deep in wisdom and knowledge. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are past finding out. Who am I to question the mind of God and who am I to counsel God? The Lord is at hand. Matt Chandler says this. He said, God knows every fact in the universe, recorded and unrecorded, every piece of truth, how everything works. He knows everything on a macro level, how high the mountains are on planet Z that we haven't even discovered yet, and he, how deep the oceans are on planets that we'll never even learn about. He knows every star, every sun, every planet, its exact location, its exact orbit. He's aware of everything on a macro level, but he is also aware of everything on a micro level. Every cell, every atom, he knows it all. And not only does he know everything at a macro level and everything at a micro level, but he knows every event that has ever occurred and how each of those events was birthed out of the events before it and leads to the events behind it. And he will continue to create events that will flow from other events that flow from other events from the beginning of time to the end of time. He knows all of that without the slightest strain on his brain. Oh, the depths of the riches of both wisdom and the knowledge of God. So who am I to scrutinize him? I lose my car keys all the time. So in that moment, in this finite glimpse of time, in this second, who am I to question God? Rejoice in the Lord that is rich and wisdom and knowledge, he is at hand. So when my daughter is sitting in the emergency room on her birthday, when my dad's vitals are dropping in a hospital bed thousands of miles away, when my mom is diagnosed with cancer, how can I learn to rejoice and be reasonable? It's because the God of the universe who rescued and saved me is not powerless in this moment. He is not surprised. He is not shocked. He is not trying to figure out what to do. He is not panicking. Matt Chandler says this as well. He says, God is not the ambulance driver who shows up on the scene trying to figure everything out and diagnose the problem, find a course of action. He doesn't show up after the accident. No, God is the surgeon that scheduled the operation and makes cuts like an artist to accomplish the goal. So on that day when your world's falling apart, my daughter is his. My parents are his. And in the deepest possible pain, I can still say I trust you and I need you. My heart is failing and I need you. So am I smiling and whistling as my world's falling apart? No, absolutely not. 
but I'm rejoicing that I know the one that gave me my daughter, the one that gave me my parents. He is the one that made them, and I am trusting him that he knows what's best because he is rich in wisdom so I can rejoice. See, it's all about who you know. And anyone that knows God knows to trust the creator of the universe that made it all, to trust him is reasonable. That's reasonable, right? He made you. He put breath in your lungs. He formed you. It's reasonable to trust him. See, God doesn't owe us anything, and I can't counsel him. I can't add anything to his wisdom. So what gives me reasonable faculties in life-altering moments is knowing that the God of the universe that gave me my daughter knows her future. And he's with my dad in the hospital. He's with my mom through radiation and surgery. So I can rejoice again, I say, rejoice. Because he knows the Lord is at hand and I am not without hope. So I can say, God, I know you see how today ends. Regardless of what happens, you are good. All I have is already yours. You see infinitely beyond what I can see, and you did not rescue me to destroy me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. No one looking around. This is the time that we pause. This is the time that we take a breath to reflect, to pray, to take action. The hope today is that God might move in your life. I'm sure today might have stirred up some hard situations in the room, some heartbreaking circumstances, some things that were out of your control. And the hope today is that God might redeem some of those situations that you've gone through and prepare you for those phone calls in the future. I pray as we meditate and we take time to deal with God, I pray that we'll let God redeem the situations where you may have felt abandoned. Redeem some of those pictures in your mind about how God left you alone in that time that you needed him. No. He loves my son and daughter. He adores my mom. He cherishes my dad. And in that moment, I need to understand that he wasn't taken by surprise. We need to know that he wasn't the ambulance driver. He was the surgeon. He was there. He is good. And he knows. Rejoice in the Lord always. Do you have the faith to trust that God's ways are higher than your ways? And the Lord is at hand even when you can't see his hand. Rejoice in the Lord always. He's going to play softly. I'm sure someone in the room has been blaming God for something that happened. As if if it was his fault. See, sin is a terrible thing. And all pain and all disease and all death flow out of sin. Because we're sinners, sometimes we can affect other people's lives in ways that they were completely innocent. 
I'm sure there's someone in here today that's blaming God for the fact that their parents didn't stay together or they lost that job. They lost their house. But you need to know this. You were not alone then. You're not alone now. The God that is rich in wisdom and knowledge is at hand. You don't have to agree with him. You don't have to like it. You got to get to a place where you can say, God, I trust you. So I can rejoice because I know the one that made my loved ones. I know the one that made me. And he's smarter than I am. He's got infinite knowledge in both directions. And I can rejoice because I know him. And it's all about who you know. You take some time right now to deal with some of those things in your heart.